Now, as you know, so far in James, we've been dealing with the topic of enduring trials. James made the point in the first four verses of his letter that believers are to respond to trials, or rather to respond to the trials that God sends their way. We're supposed to respond to them with joy. And this is because we know that God is refining us and making us stronger through those trials. Ultimately, God is sanctifying us to look more and more like Christ. James then encourages us to ask God for the wisdom necessary to endure this process of refinement. We saw last week that God gives us the wisdom we need when we believe in it. And he gives freely and sincerely. Well, this morning, James remains on the topic of enduring trials and the way that Christians are to respond to them. But whereas before he was broad in how he addressed the issue, now he gets more specific. James had said in verse 2 that Christians would face trials of various kinds. Well, here James is about to deal specifically with the issue of poverty and wealth and how Christians are to respond to their material status or how they're supposed to view their material status. So I want us to remember who James is writing to. He was writing primarily to Jewish believers who had been scattered abroad from Jerusalem as a result of persecution. And so he would expect that many, if not most, of the people in James' audience were poor and struggling after having to leave behind whatever possessions they had in Jerusalem. And then add to that, they had to live among foreigners who themselves might have been hostile. And so writing to address their poverty was fitting for James to do. However, we should note that James doesn't only address poverty, but he addresses wealth as well. Perhaps some of these scattered Jews had better circumstances that allowed them to retain some of their wealth as they fled, or to even become wealthy in their new homes. Or perhaps there were Gentile converts among James' audience who were wealthy. Whatever the case was, the important point is that James addresses, addresses both poor believers and wealthy believers in this part of his letter. Among the trials of various kinds that James offered encouragement about are trials that relate to being poor and the way that poor Christians ought to view themselves in light of their poverty, as well as trials that relate to being rich and the way that rich Christians are to view themselves in light of their wealth. And so that brings us to our big idea this morning. Christians are to evaluate themselves by spiritual standards instead of material standards. Again, Christians are to evaluate themselves by spiritual standards instead of material standards. Amen. So let's examine this idea by first looking at what James says to poor Christians. Verse 9 says, Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. So let's break that down. Boasting is the expression of pride. And pride is defined as a feeling of deep pleasure or satisfaction derived from one's own achievements or the achievements of those with, one, with whom one is closely associated or from qualities or possessions. Well, in our case this morning, the achievements to be boasted about are not our own achievements, but the achievements of Jesus Christ, who on the cross redeemed believers from sin and thus transfer to them the quality of righteousness and holiness, and won for them the possession of every heavenly gift, even being inheritors of the earth itself. Ephesians 2 says, 
But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace we have been saved, and raised us up with him, and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Christ has exalted us in that he has taken us from death to life and made us joint heirs with him of the kingdom of God. And there's so many facets to what exaltation means for the believer, and we're going to touch on some of them this morning. But for now, at a fundamental level, this is what exaltation means for the believer. We have been taken from death to life and made joint heirs and co-inheritors with Jesus of the kingdom of God. So James is saying that this is where poor Christians are to derive their deep feelings of pleasure and satisfaction. It is in their exaltation. This is why the poor, lowly Christian ought to boast. Their position as sons of the kingdom ought to be what excites them and brings them joy. Their status as justified, washed, and beloved inheritors of the earth ought to be what preoccupies their thoughts. It should permeate their songs and their speech. The lowly brother is to boast in his exaltation. Now just as a quick aside, notice that boasting isn't necessarily a bad thing. What matters is what you boast in or what you boast about. So long as you are boasting in the work of Christ on your behalf and giving glory to him, then you're doing well. Now back to my main point. The lowly brother is to boast in his exaltation. So why does James feel the need to say this? You see, the problem is that poor Christians are tempted to do the opposite of boasting in their exaltation, being instead preoccupied with their poverty, depressed and dejected over their meager means and their lack. This is understandable. Poverty is no small thing, after all. Having to wonder where your next meal is coming from is a hard way to have to live. Not being able to afford doctors or medicine when you or a loved one is sick is extremely difficult. And so it's understandable why a poor believer could fall into continual sorrow and sadness over their lowly state. And furthermore, a poor believer may also be tempted to see the rich person and say to themselves, I wish I was rich like him. Or I wish I had money like her. If only I had all the things that that person has, then I wouldn't have to worry and then I could be happy. Indeed, for a poor person who is looking towards riches as the remedy for the depression, hardship, and struggle that results from poverty, riches and wealth become to them an idol. It becomes that which is sought above all else, that which is valued above all else. And it's seen as the source of all joy and goodness. It's an idol indeed, since only God fits that description. You see, the problem is that the strain and struggle of poverty can come to preoccupy the poor believer's thoughts. And the hope of becoming wealthy becomes the place where feelings of deep pleasure and satisfaction are derived. And so as long as a person remains poor, they feel as though they can feel no pride or boast about anything. Well, James is saying that poor Christians are not to think this way. If you are a believer in Christ, even if you are poor, you have reason to boast. You are to boast in your exaltation. We need to realize what it means to be a believer in Christ. 
Oh, I don't know how many of you have ever watched a movie called The Princess Diaries. Well, I've seen it. I was 11 or 12 at the time, so I can be forgiven. <laughs> but anyway, in this movie, for those who don't know, a young woman, just an ordinary young woman, she gets news that after the death of her estranged father, she is now the sole heir to the throne of a European kingdom. Now imagine if you were to hear something like that happening for real. You'd think, oh, what a crazy thing to have happened. But Christian, do you realize that you, literally you sitting here, sitting here this morning or sitting at your home, you are an heir of the kingdom of God. God in his grace has chosen you to rule and to reign with Christ in the greatest kingdom that this world has ever seen or ever will see. A kingdom that will never end. The Princess Diaries is fiction, but I'm talking about reality. With regard to this wor world, you may be of low birth, as they say. That is, not the child of any nobility or royalty. But as a believer in Christ, you really are what is called high-born. The God and creator of the universe is your father. We believers have been born again, have we not? Have we not been born from above to be a part of God's family, his children? Indeed, we have been. And we not only boast in our future inheritance, but in the present possessions we have been given through Christ. We have God's Holy Spirit as a seal and guarantee of our redemption. We have God's grace. The grace that justified us and pardoned us. The grace that even now sanctifies us. And as we saw last week, we have access to the very throne room of God. We can go to Him in prayer and petition Him for our needs. No one else but we who are heirs of the kingdom have the right to the very heir of God. This is an exalted position. This is high status. This is a great privilege that we have. Higher than any of the kings or rulers of the earth. And the high and mighty of this world, well, they bear titles like Prime Minister, or President, or Majesty. But you sitting right here, you bear titles like King and Priest unto God Almighty. You stand in the company of the saints of God. You are brethren of the great men of God of centuries past. And one day you will stand in the company of the holy angels. And even in the presence of God and his Christ. That is who you are. You may be poor, but make no mistake. No prince or king of this world can hold a candle to the glory and grandeur of the least of those in God's kingdom. If you are a believer in Christ, you are exalted in Christ. Amen? So remember this the next time you feel burdened by your lowly circumstances. Remember this the next time you are tempted to seek satisfaction in the hope of money and wealth. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation. Let the lowly brother boast in what has been given to him by Christ. What of the brother who isn't lowly? We have some of those. Of course, James addresses him too. Reading again from verse 9. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and the rich in his humiliation. Because like the flower of the grass, he will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. 
So right away, we see a difference between how poor Christians are to respond to poverty and how rich Christians are to respond to wealth. The poor brother boasts in his exaltation and the rich brother boasts in his humiliation. Now exaltation and humiliation are like polar opposites. So it appears at first reading as though poor Christians and rich Christians have to think in two very different ways. However, when we examine what James means by humiliation, we'll see that at the core, rich Christians are to think the same way as poor Christians about their status. Remember our big idea. Christians, that is all Christians, are to evaluate themselves by spiritual standards instead of material standards. Even though the material status may differ greatly from believer to believer, with some being poor and some being rich, the spiritual status is the same. All are made equal in Christ. There's one Lord, there's one body or church, and one means of salvation from sin. Grace through faith in Jesus Christ. So with that said, if the lowly brother is to boast in his exaltation, and we've seen why he ought to do so, then why is the rich brother to boast in his humiliation? Well, we can define humiliation as the action of being brought low. Humiliation is being humbled. So while the poor, lowly brother is raised up or exalted in one sense, the rich, high brother is brought low or humiliated in another sense. So how should we understand the humiliation of the rich brother? Well, he is humiliated in that he is brought low by trials. Remember, James says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. We shouldn't think that just because someone is wealthy, that means that they don't face trials. Especially if they are a believer in Christ. After all, as we learned, God uses trials to refine us and shape us into the image of Christ. And rich brothers need that too. My point is that even though the trials of the rich may look different from the trials of the poor, they're still trials. A poor believer may incorrectly say that a rich brother has no worries because of his wealth and so cannot possibly understand the strain of being trialed and tested by God. But I want us to recognize that just as many trials come about as a result of being poor, so too do many trials come about as a result of being rich. For example, listen to how Paul speaks of those who desire to be rich in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 9. He says, Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Now here Paul was talking about false teachers who would use the gospel as a means of gaining wealth. But what he says about desiring to be rich doesn't just apply to false teachers, but to everyone who desires to be rich, as well as those who have already attained wealth. You see, when you're wealthy, you are highly likely to be concerned with either of two things, staying wealthy or becoming more wealthy. So the rich deal with a lot of temptation. God tests their hearts as to whether or not their heart will be pulled away after the love of worldly possessions and whether or not they will act justly in their financial dealings and so on. 
So while it may be physically easy to be rich, in that you have many resources and comforts, it is not spiritually easy to be rich. I'll say that again. It is not spiritually easy to be rich. And this is because your heart is constantly in danger of being led astray by pride and greed. So again, my point is that the trials of the rich may look different from the trials of the poor, but they're still trials. God still tests the rich brother or sister in and through their wealth. God also tests rich believers in spite of their wealth. The rich still have to deal with sickness and death, after all. They still have to deal with illnesses that no amount of money can cure. So whatever the trials might look like, James' point is that rich believers can be and are brought low and humbled by trials. But more than that, James is saying that being brought low is something to express pride about. The rich brother is to boast in his humiliation. He is to boast that God has cared enough about him to bring him low. We need to realize just how easy it is for a rich person to trust in their wealth. To take pride in their wealth. Because riches and comforts, sorry, because of riches and comforts, it quickly becomes easy to forget God. It's easy to feel as though, or to live as though, you don't need God because of your many possessions. Ah, but God in his mercy brings the rich believer low through trials to remind him that he is but dust. Experiencing trials helps the rich believer feel the reality of their weakness. Now you see, the unbelieving rich may feel strong and secure because of their wealth. And that false sense of security leads them to destruction. Do you remember after Jesus had spoken to the rich young ruler, he told his disciples that it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Well, this is why the unbelieving rich trust in their wealth for all things and so do not trust in God. The disciples then said, who then can be saved? And Jesus responds, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Humiliating believers who are rich through trials and testing is one part of how God makes it possible for them to be saved. Understand then that this is why the humiliated rich are to boast. God is sanctifying them through the, the humbling trials that they face. So I say to the believing rich, rejoice when you face trials and are brought low. God is keeping your wandering heart in check. Remember that for all your wealth can do, it cannot save you from the grave. As the text says, like a flower of the grass, you will pass away. For the sun rises with its scorching heat and withers the grass. Its flower falls and its beauty perishes. So also will the rich man fade away in the midst of his pursuits. The Lord, through James, graciously reminds the rich of that great equalizer of men. Death. It's coming for each and every one of us. Rich or poor, it doesn't matter. As we read from Paul a few minutes ago, we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. It doesn't matter how magnificent or dazzling your wealth makes you. Because just like the beautiful flowers of the grass, it's here one moment and gone the next. Its beauty is turned to dust and trampled underfoot. And God is saying to you, rich believer, that if you recognize this, and if you think about this, 
And if you believe this, and if you apply this to your heart, you are blessed. Your eyes have been opened by God to see that wealth is fleeting. God has brought down your haughty eyes and your haughty heart and humbled them with the reality of death so that you repent of worldly pride and selfishness and lust and all the snares that entangle the rich and powerful of this world. This is why you can boast in your humiliation. James says later in his letter, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So rejoice that God has humbled you, that God has humiliated you through trials, through the trials of life, so that your heart is not led astray. And rejoice that your true worth lies not in your net worth, but in your status as an heir of God's kingdom and a beloved child of God. So you see, the exalted poor brother and the humiliated rich brother ought to think the same way. For both, their worth is founded upon Christ, not in what they own. Brothers and sisters, James makes clear to us that no matter our station in life, whether rich or poor, we have good reason for boasting. The poor believer who is prone to sorrow should rejoice that God has exalted him and given him all things. And the rich believer who is prone to pride should rejoice that God has humbled him. In any and every situation, for the believer, God provides satisfaction. True satisfaction doesn't come from an abundance of wealth. And true satisfaction isn't kept from us due to a lack of wealth. True satisfaction comes from knowing that God has raised us up to be his own and has also humbled us to be his own. I'll say that again. True satisfaction comes from knowing that God has raised us up to be his own and has also humbled us to be his own. We who were low in the grave, spiritually dead and unfit to even be in God's presence, he has raised us up to serve him and worship him. And we who are of haughty heart, too prideful in ourselves to seek forgiveness for our sin, he has lowered us, disciplining us and loving us as a father does. To make us right before him. So friends, let these truths control how you think. Whatever your financial circumstances, evaluate yourselves according to spiritual standards and not material standards. And not only yourself, but those around you. If you are of humble circumstances and wealth, don't look at your wealthy brother or sister with greater respect than you would anyone else. As if their wealth means that they are more loved by God. That is not the case. You are both heirs of the kingdom of God. God has placed his love on you in the same way that he's placed his love on them. And likewise, don't look at your wealthy brother or sister with resentment for the same reason. Your heavenly father loves you both and has given you both an inheritance greater than what the... Um, Rather, he has given you both an inheritance greater than the fleeting wealth that the rich now possess. The cars will rust. The houses will collapse. The money will be devalued. But the heavenly wealth owned by both rich believers and poor believers will never lose its value. 
And to those believers who have been given in this life greater possessions and wealth, don't look down on your poor brother or sister because God has made you both equal in Christ. And also, don't look down on yourself. What do I mean by that? Well, there's so many places in Scripture that the rich are rebuked and denounced and woe is pronounced over them. James even does that later in this letter. But this is because these are the unbelieving rich, the ones who are puffed up and refuse to bow the knee to God. They have refused to humble themselves before God and idolize themselves and their money. And so the Bible is right to rebuke them. But remember, brother or sister, of high means, you are loved by God. He has worked in your heart and is working in your heart such that you don't go astray because of your wealth. So use the wealth that you've been blessed with for His glory. That's how you respond to His love. Give generously as you have received generously and walk humbly before God. You see, when both rich and poor believers evaluate themselves by spiritual standards instead of material ones, it leads to real joy and satisfaction. It leads to righteous boasting and it leads to love and unity in the church.